You're listening to Policy Room by SPRF. Hello and welcome to another um, episode of SPRF's Policy Room. Today we have a very special guest with us. His name is Mr. Uh, Vr Raman, who is the head of policy at WaterAid India. He has been leading several important research and advocacy initiatives on um, issues of water, sanitation, hygiene policy, and programs. Mr. Vr Raman is also one of the founders of the Public Health Resource Network and the Public Health uh, Resource Society. He is a public health expert with over 25 years of involvement both on the national and the international levels in the development sector with his experience spread across various categories of work and various flagship missions that have come to characterize india's public policy health framework including the national nutrition mission the national health mission and the swachh bharat mission thank you for joining us on this podcast uh, today mr v r raman it's a pleasure to have you with us thanks i'm glad to be part of this uh, discussion so just to provide a little context to our um, audience on the issue that we are going to cover on um, today's podcast it's something that has consumed both india and the world for the past um, year or so is the issue of the covid-19 pandemic and more particularly you know with the issues of vaccination as of today we have nearly 2 lakh uh, recorded cases per day the average over the past 7 days or so has been hovering around the 1.7 lakh mark as of the 12th of april you had around 900 deaths per day in india and when it comes to the vaccination situation around the world we see that just until a couple of days ago which is again the 12th of april 1% of the entire world population was fully vaccinated with around 7% having received at least um, one dose on the 8th of april we see our union health minister dr harshvardhan saying that um, india has around 2.4 crore vaccine doses in stock with another 1.9 crore being in the pipeline so uh, given these figures uh, mr raman what do you think is the vaccination situation for india in particular and the world in general so let me start with the global situation and then come to india that may be uh, somewhat better i think right. so uh, globally we know that there are 13 vaccines that has been approved for the emergency use the 13 vaccines that have been you know in different countries different vaccines have been uh, used and in india we know that till recently we had two vaccines approved for Uh, emergency use one of them initially was approved on a trial basis and later that was uh, you know based on the phase 3 trial data now it is also approved for emergency use and we very recently we added the third vaccine the russian one sputnik earlier it was uh, uh, co uh, covishield and covaxin and now we have also added uh, sputnik and there are more approvals uh, on its on their way Uh, to have more vaccines, uh, you know, to be made available in India. So that is what, what the situation in terms of uh, the, you know, the, the spectrum of the types of vaccines that we have. So that is also going to increase. So globally, I see that uh, there are 860 million people uh, who would have, uh, or or 860 million doses of vaccine that have been administered so administered so far, and uh, uh, full vaccinated number of people is uh, 190 million. 
meaning uh, 19 crore people across the world, uh, which is 2.4 percentage of the global population, uh, got the uh, full vaccination. Uh, you know, as of uh, yesterday, <clears throat> and when we see to the Indian situation, same. You know, you have already told that uh, we have 190 million doses administered in India so far of these two vaccines. Uh, the Sputnik vaccine, you know, uh, is yet uh, uh, going to be introduced. So we have 14.9 million fully vaccinated people in the country. The number compared to the global ratio, we are covering close to kind of 10 percentage of uh, the globally uh, fully vaccinated people. Uh, you can also say that this is close to 1.1 percentage fully vaccinated people in the country. To put it in the other uh, way, the vaccination in India has a long way to go. And uh, because you know, India and China together form the uh, largest uh, you know, set of populations in the world. So it is very clear that the remaining target in front of us is quite huge. Uh, meaning 98.9 percentage of people are yet to be fully vaccinated, wherein you know 10 percentage of the people so far, uh, close to 10 percentage of people so far, has got the first dose of vaccine. Uh, so the first dose to second dose gap that we need to provide. So to reach that, uh, you know, getting that 10 percentage uh, of the people getting the second dose of vaccine and fully vaccinated, it is going to take uh, at least uh, a month and a half or something like that. That is the overall situation. But if we look at the state level, I was reminded about uh, Sanya Nishtar, who used to be Pakistan's health minister and also an advisor to WHO. She used to talk about mixed health system syndrome. Uh, in India, we have a mixed health system wherein we need to uh, rely on uh, a mix of public, private kind of health system, uh, health service providers. And also similarly, we need to rely on different systems of medicine. That also is not a unified way that we are into. So this uh, gives a very mixed situation. So our overall ability varies from state to state. So since you know we are a federal country, each state is having different set of capacities or strengths and weaknesses when their health systems and health, health processes and health service initiatives are concerned. So yesterday, the health minister, uh, health secretary, Mr. Rajay Bhushan, health secretary of Union, health secretary of India, was saying that there are States like Kerala, which is doing the vaccination effectively without wasting almost no vaccine units, whereas you know we have also states wherein eight to ten percentage of vaccine units are getting wasted. So if you look at state level situation, there is a varying kind of trend uh, that we see, varying trend in the sense that Maharashtra with the highest case load as of now, uh, wherein vaccination is required. So a high level of vaccination required only 8,733 people per 1 lakh population is vaccinated in Maharashtra, even for first dose and top. Whereas, you know, there are states like Kerala or Delhi or Chhattisgarh or Rajasthan and Gujarat. You know, those kinds of states are standing from the 12,000 to 15,000 kind of range per 1 lakh. So this is also one issue. So overall situation, when we are giving a, a global percentage, we may be at around 10 percentage of the global, you know, or roughly 8 percentage of the global overall vaccination. We need to also realize that this is varying across states. Some states have done excellent and some states are lagging behind. And probably the most needy states are the, the most lagging behind. These are kind of things that I would say you know, in terms of a situation analysis, this is how I would like to 
put it up. And there are uh, a couple of issues about the supplies also, wherein you know many states are currently reporting huge shortage of vaccines. Whether it is Maharashtra, where you know the need is high, uh, whether it is some other states, including some of the Uttar Pradesh, uh, you know, uh, districts, uh, were recently reporting huge short of uh, shortage of vaccination. Kerala is reporting shortage of vaccination. Rajasthan uh, uh, and Haryana, you know, there are several states wherein the vaccine shortage is also being uh, reported which may be related to the logistics management and also the planning about who will consume more and who, uh, who, who will consuming, consume less. So the situation is that there is a clear deficit in terms of vaccine stocks in some districts of India. And also there is a kind of trust uh, deficit that was uh, uh, there clearly in the country. That trust deficit slowly and steadily because of the recent surge of the uh, COVID situation, the, the trust deficit is uh, slowly getting addressed and people are now uh, going for vaccines. But by the time the demand side is uh, strengthened, the supply side may get a uh, little weakened because the supply side is entirely into managing the uh, COVID situation now. It's not necessarily the vaccination uh, drive will be uh, very effectively moving in the coming few days wherein you know we need to look at a lot of curative uh, aspects of the current caseload. So that is one thing. And second, we need to also focus on what you call the, the supply side of it. There is a, a major fatigue that is happening of the continuous efforts. So overall, logistically also, and uh, situation where the, the overall vaccination drive, uh, one while the trust deficit being, is being addressed, although some uh, challenges remain about vaccine uh, resistance or the hesitancy to you know, accept vaccines, the focus that needs to be on the curative side and also the overall health workforce uh, related issues because the testing also is something that is uh, quite uh, highly and heavily required at this point in time so many states and many districts are going beyond their capacities to you know test people so testing takes the you know priority of the districts and states at this point that also is going to uh, give it all on the progress of vaccination so the overall situation is that we have progressed considerably but there are challenges in front of us. Very interesting um, points that you mentioned there. So I, I would like to pick on a couple of them moving forward. Yeah. Um, like you'd mentioned, on, I think it was on the 12th of April that India approved the Sputnik vaccine. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I think, on the same day that India uh, became this, the country with the second highest um, number of cases in the world. Exactly. Um, one of the estimates, I think, by the WHO itself, says that you know for india to achieve herd immunity three of three out of five um, indians would have to be vaccinated and yeah. one of the points that you very uh, clearly mentioned is that despite having made considerable progress there is still uh, quite a lot of way forward you know uh, for us to get there i think probably to get to around 60% one of the estimates say we we might get there by May 2022. But more importantly, I mean, taking off from these points itself, India, like most of our audience would also know as well, India and South Africa made quite a few detailed statements in particular at the WTO, providing some waiver of the TRIPS agreement on preventing containment and the treatment of COVID. And I think it's very important to mention this particular line from the statement, which I'll um, read verbatim. Yeah. Irrespective of the amount of money 
of any donor country that may throw at the problem. The mod model of donation and philanthropic expediency cannot solve the fundamental disconnect between monopolistic model it underwrites and the very real desire of developing and least developed countries to produce for themselves. And um, many people have spoken about this as well. Very interestingly, Mr. Punawala also mentioned a couple of these points in a recent yes. interview. So picking off from this, Mr. Raman, what do you think has been the trajectory for the global community in itself? Because, you know, back when the pandemic started getting noticing, in particular around the 10th and 11th of February, when the WHO got together, it called its um, called this emergency meeting. And it came up with two goals for the global research um, program on COVID. While the first one was obviously how to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic in itself. The second one was to, uh, it laid emphasis on supporting research priorities on developing sustainable research platforms that would be prepared for the next disease, the next pandemic. Yes. Because all of us know that is coming, you know, either today or tomorrow. So noting this trajectory, you know, one wherein there was optimism about collaboration and the scientific community getting together during the early days of the pandemic and the situation now wherein there is a clear divide between the global north and the south on international platforms regarding vaccine equity. What do you have to say um, on these happenings? So one uh, issue, you started with the India and South Africa joint proposal to the WTO in the October. So this is one of the remarkable movement, that, which is, you correctly said that it's one of the remarkable movement wherein uh, uh, the proposal called for a suspension of the IPR uh, rules and other obstructions for sharing of the know-how, uh, especially to various developing countries to enable them to kind of manufacture various vaccines, medicines, and other medical products. So, you know, to more rapidly bring the COVID-19 pandemic under control was kind of aim of that movement. But, you know, we, we need to note this in a regrettable way that the global north, specifically US, UK, and European Union, they blocked this uh, proposal. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that we would have global, you know, community of uh, the Third world, uh, the third world is not the right word uh, at this point in time, but we can say that the lower middle income countries or the developing uh, uh, and underdeveloped countries, you know, the expectation from India is little more high. Uh, we would have expected that as a country, we pursued this further, pressed this further and pushed the, what you call the, the <clears throat> north of the world to accept uh, the rights of the global uh, south and also the, the <clears throat> countries low-income countries, lower-middle-income countries, uh, you know, those groups were requiring uh, some kind of uh, strong position from India, but that was not really coming up. So I think, you know, our government, even now, it should strongly take this position so that we are able to benefit the most needy populations in the world. Uh, so this is one issue. Uh, <clears throat> and second, you know, recently there, there was a meeting, India participated, this was about the uh, Indo-Pacific uh, quad grouping, uh, quad grouping, wherein US, Australia, Japan and India uh, were there. And uh, the meeting discussed enhancing the vaccine supplies, mainly for the Indo-Pacific region, uh, through an agreement under which the US would provide the vaccine know-how and share financing with Japan, India, to take responsibility for manufacture and Australia would handle the logistics for supply for about 
thousand million doses uh, uh, to the region by end of 2022. But here we need to see that this issue was a strategic uh, partnership. What is India's role uh, in this? Uh, when when four countries were discussing this, how to kind of strengthen India's role in this process, being one of the very key contributor in terms of manufacturing various vaccines so how to take a position and uh, not to agree the unilateral positions of some of the countries but go into a bilateral relationship these are issues that i think we could have a uh, little more focused upon so i think this particular uh, issue of good track record that we we are having of assisting global vaccination efforts uh, but you know we need to push back on some of the agenda that is pushed by the high income countries then you know put, that is where this vaccine inequality issues that uh, i wanted to discuss we will come to that a little later i think you know india can play a very critical role by way of standing between the powerful nations and the low access populations and you know ensure access to vaccines and also escape from the pandemic including the future pandemics as you said by way of you know supporting research in a meaningful manner Uh, production in a meaningful manner and also deciding on various logistics and the know how provision all that uh, i think you know we can do much better than what we are doing as of now um those were some really uh, interesting points that you mentioned about how india it has taken the right stand but it ought to push a little harder um yeah. on these global platforms but at the same time what we also see coming from many of these wto member nations is they questioners i mean they question the global south as to what is the manufacturing capability of countries in the mm-hmm. global south and this is a stance that is taken by many so uh, do you have anything to say on this front see uh, if you look at the current uh, situation of how india is handling historically our research and development over the last i could say that from independence onwards uh, we have been setting up various institutions that can handle uh, you know we had the public sector units uh, that could have handled many important kind of production when it comes to vaccines we have now uh, a huge number of i mean if you if you take an example of the hiv antiretroviral the medicines that was prepared uh, produced in india and which is actually some of the very specific initiative that has helped the global south in terms of achieving self reliance in terms of and also cheaper and reliable kind of medicines they are coming from uh, countries like india so this is something to be noted and of course china is also one other uh, important manufacturer in the same region that is something to be noted as well but we need to clearly uh, see this fact that india is able to supply vaccines to 86 countries at this point in time and many of the global that is also you know when the criticism on the global south is coming we need to also see the fact that many of the global tycoons are reaching out to indian producers whether you know they are private producers for sure whether it is uh, bharat biotech whether it is reddy whether it is uh, serum institute whether it is other you know kind of actors in this sector also these are the names known to people because of the recent vaccine development but there are many other actors and players in this entire segment so to say that the production capacity is lesser itself is something that uh, uh, and you know this argument of ridiculing the uh, capacities of global south is a Uh, you know general tendency that we see uh, these are part of the you know global uh, diplomacy as well so i don't uh, want to comment on that part of it but 
definitely i i would like to emphasize that the capacities of india or capacities of global south you know we have several countries now india and south africa join hands on this issue so we have the production capacity or quality control capacity supply logistics capacity i don't think these are lacking but the thing is that how these things are controlled how these things are regulated the global environment towards that is uh, you know balanced to is inclined towards the most powerful countries wherein countries like india used to take a stronger position before but over the last uh, 20 or 30 years there is a difference after the wto uh, agreement we can see that the the ipr and various other things that was introduced as part of the wto we can see that uh, there is a major major decline in the resistance that the uh, global south or the lower and middle income countries or the, the segments are able to uh, put up so i think you know that is where the crux is so if we are able to speak up properly putting up facts and figures of how this side of the world is able to actually serve the other side of the world on various intellectual aspects i think that kind of a presentation is missing that is where you know the kind of doubts expressed by the powerful are going unanswered i think you know we need to learn how to answer this without jeopardizing the the balance of relations and all that but how to do that is something uh, within the you know current policy framework that our country and the various other countries are adopting towards the powerful nations so they need to find their uh, balance and fine tune their positions about this this is how i would see uh, it's not about a production capacity it is about the diplomacy i'm going to pick off on one very particular point that you mentioned and this is just to digress a little from the main point of our discussion yeah. here you mentioned the issue of the hiv pandemic and the, the the drugs therein so this reminds me really of the situation in 97 where um, the mandela government really mandated the production of drugs which were being produced in the uh, western countries for over 10000 um, dollars a dose and in response you see that um, a, a huge number of these drug mncs filed a suit against south africa alleging violation of the trips agreement and really connecting that to the issue in the present wherein you see the whole issue of intellectual property being sort of given a precedence over issues of accessibility and this has been a long standing agenda being pushed by quote unquote big pharma and now you have recent um, i wouldn't say recent but you have players like the the bill gates and Mel- the melinda gates foundation so where do you see the role of such institutions in sort of perpetuating uh, a structure wherein you know accessibility is more of an exception uh, rather than the norm see uh, this is uh, really uh, as you rightly told this is a digress- digression from what we are discussing but it's an important and interesting point so if you look at the global institutional structures that has been introduced on many of these things whether it is gavi or you know the philanthropic organizations i am i'm not going to name uh, all of them because you no know, naming one may not be sufficient there are many but of course you know the most powerful will be named and you have already done that <clears throat> so how these institution functions also depends upon where are the resources for these organizations are coming from so that is where the accessibility versus power uh, comes in the accessibility agenda 
is quite often not discussed at all so 97 south african incident that you told and also the indian you know some of the very specific initiatives from india for ensuring access to the most vulnerable communities uh, and most affected communities they were quite uh, significant and uh, the global institutions while and the global uh, processes and regulatory frameworks while the Uh, the the stated objective is about achieving equality equity and all that we all know that how uh, they are benefiting or they are focusing mostly for the powerful and the whether they are the big pharma whether they are the you know other profiteering kind of agencies so the play of global capital is uh, you know including the changing forms of capital i'm not just talking about money here the changing forms of capital also the global institutions are inclined towards making the uh, powerful more powerful rather than enhancing the access to the most need uh, i would uh, limit my response to this thank you so much sir and you know when we speak about issues of access to vaccination not just to vaccination but quality healthcare in general when we speak yeah. about india it is evident that you know the issue really interplays with factors of caste caste class gender etc and this is something that you and waterred have worked on quite a lot in particular uh, i think you've come out with uh, a study as well health safety and social security challenges of sanitation workers during the covid-19 pandemic in india and yeah. when i was going through the report some very interesting figures that stood out to me is that you know obviously in india when we speak about health sanitation workers in particular it is dominated by citizens from particular social locations and yes. despite having high levels of awareness on the need to be protected against the covid-19 pandemic and regarding symptoms of the disease very few were actually given the kind of protection that was required given given the fact that they really are at the front line um of this war against the pandemic so could you give us a little insight into the kind of details that really struck you in the course um uh, of this study okay so uh, i'll take you to you know beyond the study because that study was done a year before and currently those issues have even uh, uh, you know further gone up and uh, the challenges are even higher so one issue particularly uh, the most you know kind of excluded social groups or the most marginalized social groups are facing so these are related to the equality discussion that i was pointing uh, when you know the most challenging share of work is allocated to a particular group of people whether it is uh, you know when it comes to a hospital for example uh, in that hospital there are several sets of people who are into the front line of looking at the uh, covid pandemic and the covid patients uh, direct kind of service to the patients so that include so whenever we call human resources for help so the list of human resources for help somehow uh, they are very important i am not saying they are not important they are extremely important without them it will not function but we are not able to count beyond doctors and nurses so even within health sector you know there is a problem of this allied health professionals are not counted is a major issue that they see uh, so allied health professionals include lab technicians to a various uh, set of people who are providing various types of services to people 
which are not necessarily counted within the broader framework of caring people or prescribing medicine to people or uh, providing medical care to people so beyond that there is a set of people but even within the uh, allied uh, health professionals we don't see the people who are cleaning the uh, hospital premises collecting the waste from the uh, hospital premises and uh, all the hazardous kind of things who are kind of taking the pain of uh, removing all the uh, various hazards from a hospital those kinds of things are not uh, uh, really looked at i'm 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 talking this from the health uh, sector point of view so when it comes to sanitation uh, india is one of the countries wherein sanitation is not seen from a public health perspective so broadly globally even in many of the african countries the the sanitation and water related issues are looked after by the health departments so they have health services and also the public health and the preventive health you know they have several sections within the health department and one of them is handling the water sanitation kind of a thing but in india we are seeing it little compartmentalized and that is part of the uh, either a ministry for drinking water and sanitation or part of rural development or part of you know some other so the importance of seeing it from a health perspective is uh, generally missing that also leads to the marginalization of the sanitation workers in the country so if you see the sanitation workers currently are they getting because if you see isolation is now one of the problem that we are facing extensively we don't have beds available for covid patients in hospital so what is the advice the advice is that most of the people who don't need the hospitalized care uh, should be isolated at home Uh, then uh, when they are isolated at home the daily waste and other things are collected by the sanitation workers the domestic waste pickers one category of the sanitation workers uh, and then at the hospitals the waste is collected by the hospital cleaning staff the sanitation workers over there biomedical waste is treated by uh, a set of people the waste treatment plants in the hospital biomedical waste treatment plants in the hospital are run by a set of sanitation workers and uh, the sewer lines one of the important findings about covid is that the covid 19 virus has been extensively seen in the fecal matter uh, human fecal matter and uh, uh, sewer lines uh, are carrying this fecal matter to the centralized treatment plants and the sewer lines are regularly being repaired by a set of sewer cleaners or sanitation workers septic tanks are even in our country broadly you know manually cleaned by uh, a set of uh, sanitation workers and uh, there are still existing this the habit of uh, or the practice of manual cleaning of the dry and insanitary latrines are prevailing in some cities and the manual cleaning of the human feces by bare hands and carrying the feces and putting it uh, uh, disposing it somewhere that is happening so this segment of sanitation workers a large segment of sanitation workers are heavily affected by the covid has added uh, risks to their lives already they were in risk their lives and their dignity because of you already told that they are coming from a specific caste and specific community and also this works especially they are not paid well and also they are not respected well so they are in a you know income deficit and they are staying of course in a very crowded slum in a informal settlement without having their own houses and they are not natives of the cities that they are living so they are living in a very minimum kind of facility wherein they need to pay only a or spend only a little of their income so that they can spend for other things so this overall challenges of sanitation workers is 
uh, quite heavy. So one of the inequalities that I am seeing in this uh, COVID era, we are talking about vaccination. So I'll take it back to the vaccination. We don't even have how many... Uh, you, you would have seen that some 15 days before, uh, there was an order from uh, the health ministry saying that the frontline workers' vaccination uh, is being misused by various private uh, facilities. In a, in a way, that particular category is you know, used for giving vaccines to uh, some specific people, uh, favoring some specific people. So that particular category's vaccination has been stopped. But have you thought about who is missing out as part of such stopping of such vaccination? Quite often, they are this, uh, uh, the kind of sanitation workers and the, the kind of frontline workers are missing. Those hospital staff who are having access to the vaccination processes, they will cover. But those who are outside the hospitals, those who are outside the facilities, they are really struggling for you know, getting themselves protected before they go into go in front of the people, in front of the infected pe- uh, persons, before cleaning the waste produced by the infected persons. And those who are managing the dead bodies, that is also one set of sanitation workers. So this is a very strange kind of equation that is in front of us. We don't even have uh, data of the most vulnerable uh, community that is handling the most risky kind of uh, challenges in terms of whether it is pandemic or whether it is daily life. So how can we have a clear monitoring of those all vulnerable populations are protected completely and the society, the, uh, the health systems and the government and uh, all individuals who are deploying these people are doing justice to such workers. It's a major question that is continuing to be unanswered. Um, in, in these points that you mentioned that really illustrate the forced and perhaps purposive sort of invisibilization of India's sanitation workers. One thing that stood out quite starkly for me is that increasingly a majority of India's sanitation workers are um, in the informal sector with scarcely any job security, any, um, any social security. And one thing that is very evident from the study and from your uh, discussion as well is that there is an immediate and urgent need for structural um, transformation in India's um, health policy framework. Exactly. And this is another point that you mentioned is, you know, the very drastic crumbling of India's health infrastructure, the lack of beds is alarming. It's on the news every day. And like you mentioned, this study was done some time ago, perhaps more to the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, it was June 2020. Right. So do you see any change, any positive change, anything optimistic in terms of structural transformation that could better prepare us for whatever might come next? Uh, Are you asking about the sanitation worker regime? The sanitation worker regime in particular, but also India's uh, healthcare infrastructure on the whole. The sanitation worker regime... uh, if you look at the political intent, the, the what you call realization that we need to do justice to this specific uh, set of people is there. I mean, that is very much there. If you see that various statements, our acts, our policies, our programmatic frameworks, our budget allocations, all that says that, you know, there is a thinking about the most vulnerable communities. As example, I'm using sanitation workers here. But the problem is about how we are 
actually you know institutionalizing the implementation of uh, you know those intents so the political will you know as a governance students i'll see political will as a mix of i mean everyone should see that as a mix of intent and action so uh, what we are having is the intent the action part quite often we are missing but recently i can say that this safety and uh, security of sanitation workers thanks to some of uh, the efforts uh, put in by us and you know joining hands with the world health organization and uh, the world bank was part of it international labor organization was part of it so when these voices came together so there is some you know kind of realization that is happening and also in india there has been some realization that we need to do something but how part often is missing in our discourse i understand in orissa i could see that the state government of orissa wanted to you know identify sanitation workers into skilled worker category and to enhance their professional recognition and all that so they have a core sanitation workers one category defined and you know put people into that and another level 2 core you know sanitation workers they have defined and the daily wages and various other things uh, have been defined for them and the enumeration of these people have started uh, but on the other hand in the same places we can also see that the safety and security of uh, sanitation workers and their families we are yet to understand what it is what does it mean while you know we are you know our salary the mainstream persons who are into salaried income and all that whether uh, when they are very vocal about their salaries their emoluments their incomes their rights and all that the same uh, you know formula we are not able to apply when it comes to the most vulnerable kind of workers so that is where even yesterday i could see that two of the sanitation workers died in between cleaning the septic tanks the sewer lines in one of the indian towns so this is continuously happening so the apathy the systemic apathy needs to be corrected and we need to really really find ways for introducing some accountability some responsibility of various individuals who are running the machineries those kinds of things are Uh, lacking and also we need to promote uh, honestly stating the situation of for example these workers so what kind of incentive can you give to an officer who is talking truth about the bad situation of a uh, group called sanitation workers similarly what kind of a disincentive or a you know punitive measure you can introduce for those people who are actually suppressing the causes and the needs and the rights of this you know, specific group we, we have to think slightly differently in our guideline are we monitoring whether all these workers all these vulnerable categories of workers have been uh, covered or not covered so before we stop the in the enumeration and the vaccination of frontline workers have we looked at whether all our ashas have been covered or not who are actually running uh, from post to uh, pillar for ensuring uh, the care of the people who are the covid affected similarly have we looked at our sanitation workers have we looked at our field force have we looked at those who are into awareness drive in villages so we we need to see with some kind of sensitivity with some kind of realization that without uh, actually attending and addressing the problems of this frontline uh, workers merely looking at those privileged classes of workers is not going to solve the problem so coming more generally to india's healthcare infrastructure on the whole like i had mentioned earlier you know the uh, complete lack of empathy from this is it's no i don't think it's a matter of opinion as much as we have seen this in the news quite a bit 
the lack of empathy from a number of private healthcare providers, the lack of beds, the complete crumbling of India's uh, healthcare healthcare infrastructure. Um, going forward, how do you think this can be really rectified? Is the system far too broken for there to be any sort of you know meaningful um, course correction? I think you know this needs to be seen from both uh, sides of the health system side also and also the uh, people side. Uh, otherwise, you know, we can miss the actual. We cannot blame all the time the uh, individuals who are working part of the system for uh, the structural gaps. The structural gaps are sometimes also because of, uh, for example, you know, Kerala is able to, you know, with recently there was a hike in the number and all that, but it is able to manage its problems in a much commendable and uh, better way compared to the other states because of the approach of the system and the structure of the system is better placed in that state of India compared to many other states. Similarly, Tamil Nadu also within its minimum resources, they are able to uh, you know, produce better results. So we need to see that this apathy, where is it coming from? Uh, the, if the uh, states are not investing into proper uh, systems, uh, the available workforce are left only with the choice of performing suboptimally. So the system is made for uh, suboptimal performance is the major problem that we are facing. That is where I started with this mixed health system syndrome. So the mixed health syndrome is something like that. You know, we really don't have the various systemic requirements met. So we are looking at incremental enhancement of uh, human resources. We are looking at uh, incremental enhancement of their placements and various other kinds of requirements. And then we are expecting when the staff requirement or infrastructure requirement or facility requirement or financing requirement are unmet, we are expecting the available services to perform in a world-class fashion and to deliver. So first of all, you know, we need to understand that why many of them, because of their class character, because of their orientation, they are having apathy to the poor. So there is a segment of workers in the health systems uh, who are really apathetic to uh, the poor. They don't have that empathy that is needed. They, they don't uh, show their commitment to the duties. That is one privileged class in all our uh, services, including health services. I'm not talking about them. But, you know, there are people who passed the examinations and with commitment went into doing their duties also. And th that is a considerable segment, actually. But why are they becoming part of this apathetic systemic approach is something that we need to understand uh, deeply, I think. So the approach of our governance is not creating the possibility of performing well, performing optimally is an issue. So we can call it as an operational constraint or an institutional constraint. So unless and until we develop our institutions in an optimal manner, these issues are going to continue. For example, we can see that uh, from the vaccination, again, you know, I'm going back to that vaccination discussion. If you look at the cold chain system that is available in some of the North Indian states and the similar kind of systems in some of the South Indian states. So how with the similar resources available for all states of India, some states are able to invest well and some states are not able to invest well. And why some of the you know, capacities in some of the states and educational quality in some of the states are better compared to the poor quality of education, poor quality of capacity building and training in, and poor quality of service orientation and motivation and uh, commitment in some other states. So there are issues to understand, unpack, and uh, then address uh, in many of these uh, things, I, I think. 
then only we can actually look at the issue of how we are dealing with people with uh, you know some element of respect empathy and some kind of uh, commitment to what we are doing and many of our public facilities are overcrowded this is a fact so unless and until we are going for a ratio according to our kind of population what is the kind of facility that is needed for serving the large segment of population if the service providers are put into you know with minimum resources if they are expected to deliver maximum that can lead into some problem so we need to un- understand and address some of these core issues and we need to invest much better in health so we are currently investing much less than what is required 1.25 of our gdp is going into health uh, as per the uh, current situation the uh, the national health policy in 2016 told that it will go up to uh, say 2.5% of the gdp will be committed but you know if you look at the incremental growth of that from 1.2 we have not gone much so even if you are talking about achieving the policy in 2030 in the current way we are not going to achieve it so unless the investment in health and the spending capacities in health and the broader resources that is put in for health including human resources is enhanced this problem of apathy is one of the by products of that provided you know i already told that you know there are some privileged you know groups within the health uh, health service providers who are already apathetic because of their you know class and caste and various other characters economic characters and all that thank you so much for your um, uh, remarks mr raman it has been a pleasure um, and very educational for me personally having you on um, our podcast i i hope it's been Uh, educational for our audience as well for your remarks on vaccine nationalism vaccine equity and for more importantly pointing out the issues that characterize the indian healthcare system and the global um, healthcare infrastructure on the whole pointing out the need for a radical transformation in the many of the structures that are already in place it has been fantastic having you um, with us this evening today so yeah thank you to conclude i would say that currently we need to look at vaccine inequalities from uh, all these you know from the infrastructure perspective from the what kind of population is not getting these services you know that kind of a, uh, perspective unless and until we focus on the most uh, deprived communities and uh, classes of the society uh, not only in vaccine across various sector and system priorities and also outside health sector we are not going to achieve what we are expected to and supposed to achieve so we need to realize this and work towards addressing these inequalities thank you thank you so much sir. thank you for tuning into another episode of policy room produced by the social and political research foundation sprf is a youth oriented public policy think tank based in new delhi working to spark dialogues for a better democracy Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.